This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Tap portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We have some statistics to share with you today concerning women and money. But we're also looking for your personal finance questions. Would you like to talk about 401ks, bonds, or the current stock market? Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy. What's on your mind, financially speaking, this morning? Well, good morning, Kevin. It's uh, deja vu all over again with this Delta variant uh, spreading. And uh, we need to remember that the health of the economy depends on our actual health. And as we've had new guidelines come out from Dr. Dobbs, our health uh, officer here in Mississippi, the concern is that people are going to start pulling back in, even though we were just now starting to really rare and let go and uh, spending was increasing, we were getting moving again. But now the concern is that with this new variant that we'll see people pull back, pull back on spending, and it will slow down our bounce back on the economy. Good morning, Ryder. What about uh, your take on the financial news for the week? Good morning. I had made a couple of notes about the vaccination rates as well and the Delta variant uh, because I hope that one day we'll be able to stop talking about that. But it's a little surprising. This is one of the things where America is really excelling at is getting folks vaccinated, but we are not excelling at it down here in Mississippi. Uh, we are America is vastly ahead of the rest of the world. I think it's good uh, that folks who have gotten vaccinated, there's just a whole lot less risk out there. There's a whole lot fewer folks who are now at risk as they start to go out and move about in the economy, but the risk is not gone. And as long as folks are not getting vaccinated, that risk is going to stay there and possibly start increasing again. So again, it's something we've been very good at as Americans, and I, and I do hope that Mississippians will be able to step up. But another topic that I feel like I I also want to stop talking about soon is inflation. Uh, we had an inflation report this morning, again, fairly high uh, for this last month. Uh, the month of June. And a lot of that was due again to used cars. The pro used car prices up about 10.5%. And just an amusing anecdote I had a friend who had a car come off lease recently. He was able to sell his car to CarMax for almost what he had paid, almost the initial, what the initial purchase price would have been. So he, he was able to pay off the loan, the, the payoff amount on the car. He pocketed some money and was able to then turn around and buy uh, an upgrade car for himself, which which wasn't as wildly affected. And, and one of the things he observed to me was that the used car market, it's really going on in specific kind of dependable, reliable makes that everybody knows and loves. Whereas if you're looking for a new car, if you're not looking for just a baseline Honda Civic, uh, Toyota Corolla, F Ford F one fifty, you know, very one of the most popular cars. It's really a lot easier to get uh, a newer car uh, for for a, still a reasonable price. 
And speaking of cars um, and inflation, we've also been watching the price of gasoline. Everybody is buzzing about that. Um, and in the summertime, we typically have prices go up at the pump just because we're traveling more. And this year, it's gone up exponentially because we're traveling exponentially. Um, mm, absolutely. And so um, that's a, actually a good sign. When you see price at the pump go up, that means people are moving, the economy is doing pretty well. And last year when we were all stuck at home, the price per gallon was much, much lower, but it made sense because we weren't traveling. It's all back to supply and demand. Should have stocked up while it was cheap, Nancy. Oh, could we have done that? <laughs> Didn't we try that once before earlier? <laughs> we, oh, yeah. We talked about tankers. We, we did discuss that once. It never, never panned out. <clears throat> uh, this is Money Talks. We've got some personal finance statistics to share with you today. We hope by learning these facts that you can change your life or help someone you care about change theirs. Our data comes from Morningstar, and their website says that they've been empowering investors since 1984 through research. Uh, Nancy, let's uh, start off with you. What are some ways you gather financial information that might be helpful uh, to people who are listening? Well, um, I think there are many sources, and I'm going to confess here I now am of an age to get the AARP magazine. <laughs> and it is a great resource for uh, budgeting, financial tips, financial products. I have found many articles in there that I have passed on to our clients or we used to then uh, expand upon. So it's a great source of information for people of all ages, actually. Um, but that's a great place to start. And then look for any sort of websites or sources that you have come to rely on. One of the ones we use for pooled funds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, is Morningstar.com. And you can look at that for free. You can also subscribe if you want to get more of their information, which we do. And so that's a good resource for any kind of mutual fund coverage, exchange trade funds, and that's helpful for people who are investing through 401ks. Uh, Nancy, I get the AARP uh, newsletter also. And oh, you're old, too? Yeah, I'm, I'm old, too, yeah. And yeah. so for our uh, listeners who are not of AARP age, I am also in the studio today available to take your questions. <laughs> but I think that is a good source this week or this month or however often they send it out. It's uh, 99 Ways to Save Money. They've got an, a regular column about Social Security in there. A little while ago, I read something about identity theft. So it does contain a lot of useful information, certainly for seniors, but... Uh, uh, also, uh, if if younger folks could get their hands on it, it would be useful uh, well, for them maybe, as well. Maybe we could pass on our copy to Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. All right, uh, Ryder, we'll be talking about money management. What are some ways that you would suggest listeners try to learn more about that? So the first thing I want to say is a warning that I drop very often. It, no doubt you are looking for financial information, money information, investment information online. And I am here to tell you uh, that at least 90% of the information about finance that you find online is really terrible. Some of it is actively harmful for you. Most of it is just, it's just not good. Uh, there's another Another nine percent, which is, which it's 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 good advice. It's good advice. It's uh, it's maybe standard good advice, uh, but it's not necessarily tailored for your situation. 
And the last 1% is, is good advice. It works for your situation. And uh, trust me, you're never going to find it. And if you do, you won't recognize it when you see it. So just take everything you learn with a grain of salt. That being said, once you do, once you are financially literate, you'll be able to trust those. So you'll be able to figure out which sources you can trust. I am a big fan of learning by doing. And for some folks, that means just getting started investing through your 401k. Once you have, you know, you're putting some money aside into your 401k, initially you can see it go up and down. Over the years, you'll see it accumulate and grow. And those are the lessons from investing we want people to learn. Investing broadly, investing for a long time, investing consistency, seeing how that grows, seeing what that does for you. So that's one way to start. If you if you don't have a 401k or you're not working, so you don't have an IRA, just a personal account where you can where you can look at investments. You can look at maybe some individual stocks you're interested in, maybe some index funds that we're big proponents of, and do some s small amounts just to just to just to learn about it and and see how they perform over time. Then participating in your family finances. I know some people might prefer to leave finances to a partner, or if you are you know, still living at home with mom and dad, leave finances to mom and dad. But participate in that more. Uh, see what the household budget is. Understand what your large expenses are. You know, rent or mortgages are surprisingly large parts of budgets sometimes. And then lastly, being thoughtful about all of your own purchases. So look back on your purchases every month and say, oh, what were unexpectedly large things? What were things I could have done without? Reflect on purchases as you make them and think about, are you going to receive the value out of that purchase? Was that purchase maybe, could you have, was, was that worth it to you or did you, Afterwards, did you think, oh, maybe I could have saved that up because I wanted to do something big and exciting this weekend, and now I have a few less dollars for that? So being a little more conscious about your own spending, but all of those, just being more active and aware and conscious of uh, the finance that's already going on around you. And also, uh, MPB Think Radio tries to help you uh, be better money managers and learn more about personal finance. Of course, there's Money Talks Tuesday mornings at 9 each week, but there's uh, NPR News at the top of each hour. They cover financial news. And then Marketplace actually has a number of shows. The Marketplace Morning Report uh, is at uh, 750, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the Marketplace Tech Report, which comes on just before our show. And the original Marketplace uh, weekday evenings from 6 to 6.30. Lots of useful information about finances on those trio of programs as well. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're discussing the need to empower women and everyone to handle your personal finances. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're highlighting some statistics today while we look for your personal finance questions via calls or emails. So let's start with the earnings gap. The peak average earnings for women, $66,000 and $66,700. For men, the peak average earnings is $101,200. Uh, 78.4% is what white females average earnings as a percentage of white male earnings. Black female average earnings as a percent of white male earnings is 61.4%. So uh, having heard those statistics, Nancy, uh, any comments, thoughts? Well, there are all kinds of reasons for that earnings gap. And let's start with, um, in our society, women tend to be the caregivers. Uh, we tend to be the ones caring for the children, or if we have an older family member, we're the ones um, reducing our work hours or quitting a job just so we can handle that. In fact, 42% of women said they reduced their work hours to care for a child or another family member, and 27% of those women just quit the job altogether. And that's typically what you see in a couple, and that happens more often than not because men tend to be the primary earners. If they are earning more, then you want to keep that higher earning level, and if somebody has to back up, if somebody has to step back from the workforce, it tends to be women. Now, that is shifting a little bit. Right now, in about a quarter of our couples, we are seeing women who are the higher earners, um, but that's what's happening at that point, and that also then brings us back to as we see our young women come through the educational system, we need to get them to step beyond traditional female roles because that's where the earnings are. And it's fine if you want to choose to do that, but you need to also look at what your potential would be for earnings. Uh, for instance, we now are seeing more women moving into engineering, which is a high-paying job. We see a lot more women becoming physicians at this point. That's a high-paying job. And and so that can be flipped on its head, but we're still in that mode of we women tend to be the caregivers. Uh, but I guess maybe as societal uh, norms begin to change, that the 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 uh, difference between earnings for men and women would possibly decrease, and also maybe. Uh, you know, there's an, an effort to encourage young girls to think outside the box, as it were, in terms of what sort of careers they want. So you think that that kind of thing might help to, to slim the gap a little bit? 
it will certainly help. But I also think there's a there's a positive in here as far as a difference in genders in that women tend to value their families. Uh, not that men don't, but I think women put more emphasis on that and they're willing to sacrifice uh, whether it's uh, moving to a new location for a different job or stepping up in more responsibilities because it's going to take away from family life. Um, and maybe men are moving in that direction of valuing that more. And when all of that happens, we'll see some equalization. Um, Ryder, do you have any thoughts on the, the earnings gap that we're talking about? Y yes, and actually I'd like to elaborate a little on the points that Nancy made because she said, uh, she talked about folks dropping out of the labor force, dropping out of their uh, jobs, reducing hours to care for a child or a family member. And a big thing is taking care of parents as they age. And, and if you think about that, that can be, you know, there's a, a big discussion always about, oh, you know, women are taking care of their children, but they're also taking care of their parents. And when you're taking care of an aging parent, you're doing that in your peak earning years. If if you have to take care of your parents when they're in your their 80s, you might be in your 50s. You're just hitting the top 10 years of earnings in your life. And if that's what you're cutting, then that's a lot more detrimental to not only like your current lifestyle, but your future retirement than a lot of other things. And so some kind of concrete things you can do uh, to help help alleviate that is is talk with your parents sooner about their retirement plans and their health care plans, their end of life plans because if you have a plan, there's a, there's a lot of problems in, in your life where if you just have more money, then it's fine. You know, if you need a new car and you have the money, you can just buy the new car. If you need food and you have the money, you can just buy food. And to some extent, having more money for end-of-life care, having more money for retirement is absolutely helpful. But these are also very large and complex things that need a lot more planning. And so simply knowing what the plan is for your parents well in advance of you needing to step out of work to take care of them can be very helpful. I mean, you can potentially, potentially get other help taking care of them, uh, delay the time that you need to, to get out of work, or make sure other siblings are involved in the process so that the burden doesn't just fall on one person in the family. So those are some steps. You know, again, we're always going to advocate having a plan for any large financial event, and I think that's a situation that it could be super valuable in. But there are other reasons other than just taking care of family. Obviously, gender discrimination is a big problem. Something like 42% of women said they experienced gender discrimination. And even if that just means you're passed by for one out of every three promotions that you get, it doesn't mean women never get promoted. It means that even just being slightly less likely to be promoted adds up to a cumulative large loss of salary over a working period. Um, many women say they accept a salary and didn't negotiate. Again, kind of cultural norms around negotiation might be seen as more of a male thing. 
because 52% of men said they didn't negotiate. So you see uh, a lot more men negotiating for this, their salary. So there are some cultural norms maybe going on in the workplace that, like we said, hopefully are easing up, hopefully are making it more equal in the workplace, but they do still exist. Nancy, one of the st- the numbers that Ryder just mentioned that I was thought was interesting was that percentage of women who said they accepted a salary they were offered and didn't negotiate at 68%. And again, possibly is that that negotiation isn't quote-unquote ladylike? I, I think there is some um, truth to that, that we as women are taught to um, go along be kind, be nice, uh, not ruffle feathers, and uh, we need to encourage our young women to stand up and speak up for themselves and to demand the kind of pay that equals their skills. And so that takes a long time for that transition to happen, and I certainly think Uh, My daughter and her generation are better at it than I am, so I'm hoping this will continue to improve and we won't judge somebody based on, you know, whether they stand up for themselves or not. And and for men, that tends to be, my gosh, he's standing up for himself. But for a woman, still at this stage, there's this question of them being hostile or aggressive or not getting along. Uh, May 4th of this year, 2021, we did a show about asking for a raise. So uh, if you're interested in ways to uh, go ahead and try to increase your salary at work or your pay, uh, you can reference our May 4th uh, podcast to find out about uh, the the best way to go about uh, asking your employer for a raise. We're learning some personal finance statistics from the research company Morningstar. Do you know the average age men and women begin saving for retirement? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Monday Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Tap portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today we're talking about some personal finance statistics from the research firm Morningstar. The average age when men begin saving for retirement is 27. The average age when women begin saving for retirement is 26. 
So before we dig into things, maybe some quick reactions to that. Ryder, anything, does that surprise you that women would start saving a little bit earlier than men for their retirement? Well, I, those are very similar numbers, very similar ages. It's a little surprising in some sense that typically, especially, and I don't know what age cohort this is sampling. Maybe this is all folks who are working now. But one of the things going on now is women are generally becoming more educated than men. They're spending more time in school, more time in college, getting more degrees, so generally joining the labor force a little bit later at the same time joining in more professional capacities which may have 401ks and so are able to participate so I, I don't know there, there could be a lot of lot of things going either way but I think the lesson is everybody needs to be participating if they have a employer retirement plan they should be participating if they don't then as soon as they start earning as soon as you start earning, you should start saving. You should start working on those longer-term goals. And 26 or 27, there's no age that, there's no age where it's, oh, it's too early. It's never too early. Uh, what are your thoughts, Nancy? Mid to late 20s, does that seem about the right time to start saving? Or as Ryder suggests, maybe even earlier than that? Oh, I would say earlier. And uh, when I was teaching college classes, I always encourage my students as soon as they graduate and get that first job, which is hopefully going to be around 22 or 23, to sign up for that employer 401k and put in at least 10%. We also encourage our clients who have teenagers coming along as soon as those teenagers get summer jobs or part-time jobs, even though they're not qualified as an adult, they can still have a retirement account that they can start building in a Roth IRA. And to be able to use those earnings to do that, and the sooner you start, then the less work you have to do when you hit your 40s and 50s. And often I see people walking in my door in their 40s suddenly waking up and saying, my goodness. I need to save for retirement. So if you started at 16, 17, 18, 22 at most, you're going to be way ahead of the game. Seventy uh, percent of women save in a 401k or similar plan or outside the workplace. Eighty-one percent of men save in a 401k or similar plan or outside the workplace. So, uh, again, uh, that sounds like maybe good numbers on both for both men and women. Uh, yeah, but, but Kevin, um, a lot of people save simply because there's an employer match. And that is not going to be enough to get you what you need to have in retirement. And um, so if you look at what people are actually saving and putting aside, we're looking at 6 to 7%. And we push for them to uh, head to about the 15% range in order to replace that pre-retirement income once they do retire. That takes a lot more work. And we are seeing people in their 50s with average 401k balances of 150000 150000 sounds like a lot if you're 30 years old, but if you're in your 50s and facing retirement, that's not a lot. When our friend Sean Mercer from Social Security Administration visits, he often mentions that retirees need more uh, than just Social Security and need funds from different sources. Uh, Nancy, some thoughts about that idea? Absolutely. If you are just depending on Social Security alone, it's going to be very difficult to make it. Now, having said that, um, if you've had good earnings through the years, 
most people are pretty surprised by what that benefit will be when they retire. And it's a very important piece of their retirement. But again, for most, it's not going to cover everything. So you're going to have to save outside of that and build earnings, hopefully um, maybe even have a pension along the way that will supplement all of that. Also, I think uh, Sean has referenced the fact that, you know, maybe plan for your retirement as if you weren't getting Social Security, and then as, as you suggested, then it becomes, you know, even extra, a little gravy on top, I guess. Well, I think a lot of younger folks that I talk to laugh when I start talking about Social Security. They don't count on it. Um, they feel like all the older ones are going to take all the money and run, and uh, by the time they get there, it won't be available to him to them. And I think that's probably a good approach, and I still believe it will be there. It's a valuable program. When it was first started in 1934, it was very controversial, but, man, you couldn't pry it out of our hands now. We really like our uh, what we would call our income insurance program. It is a pension plan. And uh, I think it will stick around in some form. It does need to be modified, so we keep it sustainable. Uh, Ryder, we've got some uh, information about uh, percentage of men or women confident about their resources in retirement. Uh, 39% women, 54% uh, men. Uh, thoughts about that or other thoughts about saving for retirement? So that's very interesting because confidence can come from a whole lot of sources, right? You could say, well, the men are more confident because they simply have more money. You could say the men are more confident because they feel confident that they've been doing the right things. And sometimes if you feel you've been doing the right things, you feel you have been saving enough, then you feel you can do it. You know, like they don't ask for directions when they're driving? <laughs> Uh, sure, yes. This, this, that, that could be because if you feel you're going in the right way, then why do you need to ask for direction? So if you feel you've been saving enough, you feel you've been participating in your in your 401k, and you feel that the pension you have or the Social Security you're, you're looking at is going to be enough, then yes, you would be more confident. So there, there's a whole host of reasons why one might be more confident. There, there are a host of facts about the world around them that might lend to one person being more confident than another. And that's to say nothing of just in general, like we were going back to talking about cultural norms and, and just what are expectations for women and men, and are men expected to be more confident about things, and are they treated that way, and do they therefore have more confidence about some things? But I do want to point out one of these things is that this statistic that 39% of women are confident they'll have enough resources to last in retirement and 54% of men, that is talking about lasting 25 years into retirement. And I should hope that when folks are looking at retirement, they're planning for what not necessarily a whole lot more, but planning on what we like to think of more as just a sustainable retirement. Not not that, okay, you can spend this money for 30 years and then you're going to run out. I hope you die in 29 and a half years. But that you have enough money that you can keep living, that you can keep up your lifestyle, that you might be able to take care of some inflation here and there and, and hopefully not run out. So 25 years as well in retirement is not necessarily that long these days. 
Um, I also would mention, Kevin, uh, I listened to a podcast with Daniel Kahneman. He is the father of behavioral economics, and uh, he described overconfidence this way. He said it's really just a failure of the imagination. So maybe that's what's going on with um, the other gender. Shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Dave, who has called in from Mobile. Dave, uh, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. If I may, a couple of minutes to give perspective from someone on the opposite end of what you're discussing. Uh, I am 77, have been retired since uh, 2008. my wife and I were most fortunate in that we came, you know, up through, uh, you know, the uh, period of time when interest on earnings, you know, was, uh, you know, quite high. Uh, uh, I participated in my 401k with my employer, and it was not at all unusual for me in a given year to earn 20, 25% return on you know the program, which is unheard of today. Um, and in addition to that, when uh, we moved to our present location in 78, we purchased a home and uh, we, for some reason, have remained in that residence all these years. And we, as a couple, we have two children. Uh, We planned and were fortunate enough, we lived below our means. So not constantly moving up to a more expensive uh, home um, and living below means. Uh, We have our uh, uh, retirement program with Ameriprise and uh, just have been fortunate in not having to draw on any of that money. Uh, We live on Social Security and uh, my wife's teaching retirement uh, and, you know, that and a portion of uh, just uh, dividends and things from Ameriprise. So do you think young people today starting out are going to be able to find themselves in, you know, a position that we're fortunate enough to be in with the way things are? I think they will. And I'm going to say to you when you said, oh, 25% is unheard of in a year, it is not unheard of, but it's not something you can duplicate year after year after year, even if you're uh, fully in the stock market. We estimate that you're going to have much lower returns on average. But hopefully what you've done, Dave, is passed on this idea. The key here is you have lived 
within or below your means. And that allowed you to save. And I'm hoping you pass that on to your two children. If they saw you modeling that, then hopefully at least one of them will do that as well. So that's important for families to model that kind of behavior. Um, understand that in our society, everything pushes us to spend, want more, bigger house, nicer car, all those things. So it's really hard to stay with a program of, no, I've got to have a long-term view, and I have to save a lot and invest wisely so that I can be prepared when I'm older. And um, that's often a tough sell for folks, um, but I see it all the time where I have an older couple come in, and when they open up this folder, their grown children are shocked because they'll say, well, you know, they just had a basic blue-collar jobs. They didn't ever earn a lot. How did they accumulate this much? Well, again, the key that you mentioned was you live below your means, you plan, you save, and you invest. All right, uh, Dave, we appreciate your call this morning. Uh, Ryder, what about that living within our means? That's something we talk about a lot on the show, and I guess one way to, to start is something that we've mentioned is maybe for a month, you know, track your spending, where does it go, and then get a handle on what, what you're spending your money on, and it can better fit that to what you're actually earning. That is absolutely it. Dave uh, hit the nail on the head. Um, living below your means, spending less than you earn, and investing the difference, as well as he made some prudent financial moves, purchased a house. He locked in the, the price of his housing. He, he has not had rent increases for the past 43 years, I believe. He said he bought in, in, in 78. Uh, so, yeah, that he, he's, he's done it right, and that's something that we, we try to emphasize a lot, that live below your means, invest prudently, make some good financial decisions, and you can really accumulate a lot uh, that can take care of you later on. We're learning some personal finance statistics. How important do we think saving for retirement is? We'll tell you that statistic next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. healthy and fit you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active i'm dr josie bidwell host of southern remedy healthy and fit and associate professor of preventive medicine at the university of mississippi medical center listen to the show every monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for southern remedy with your preferred podcasting app This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
Well, please, you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m., you can listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. So uh, where do men place retirement savings for their financial priority list? First, where women placed retirement savings on their financial priority list was fifth, below meeting daily living costs, paying off debts, covering household costs, and general purpose savings. And Kevin, that's because women tend to manage the day-to-day finances, and men tend to be the ones looking at those investment accounts, the retirement accounts. Um, I try to encourage women to jump into that area, to learn about investing, and not just focus on the day-to-day because there are long-term things that they want, too. They want to educate their children. Um, they want to have a good retirement. And so they need to also be involved in the investment side. Pay attention to those retirement accounts, even if it's your husband's retirement account. Pay attention to what the investments are. Spend time learning about that, and uh, you'll be better off. Got a couple of callers to get to. We will start with Bob, who has called in from South Haven. Bob, it's your turn. You're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, uh, touch on the importance of teaching your children to uh, be uh, frugal and we live within their means. Uh, I'm 75 and already in retirement, and but uh, it can be a burden on a parent. If you don't teach your children to live within their means, and then you wind up having to give them financial support for some frivolous things that they have uh, uh, done, uh, that hurts uh, you, and then they go through uh, retirement Mm -hmm. with uh, having a problem. So I just wanted to touch on that. Bob, that is something we yep. um, we see that a lot. We have older clients, and the real problem becomes when you have multiple children and you've got one that is just dependent on their parents still, even though they might be in their 50s. And what we try to say to their parents is you're putting yourself at risk by continuing to support this adult child who should be on their own. And you're also causing a rift with other children. And if you get into a bind as an an elderly person, then the children who've been responsible are going to have to pick up the tab. And that's not quite fair. So um, we have at times become the referee and the, the ones who have to say no to grown children because it's very hard for parents to say no. I mean, you've always been the ones to support them, help them. And so the tendency is to want to continue to do that. Good call, Bob. Thanks for calling in. We talk a lot about, uh, you know, getting the family involved in financial decisions, letting your children know uh, what goes on in terms of personal finance. And so that only not only benefits them, but as Bob points out, in the long term, it might benefit you as well by raising uh, financially literate uh, kids. Yeah, I think that sometimes passing on good values, good money habits, that's one of the most valuable things that a parent can 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 do. I mean, you can you can pass on money when you die, but if you give them a lifetime of good financial habits, then that's I don't want to sound too cheesy, but that potentially is a, worth a whole lot more to them. 
Right. I mean, anybody that's ever struggled, and I think we all have at one time or another struggled with finances, you know how uh, important it is to have good financial habits and how much peace of mind you get when you think you've righted your financial ship. So again, that uh, I agree, Ryder, that nothing probably more important a parent can do than pass on some financial literacy, among other things, to their kids. We've got another caller on the line. John has called in today. You're on the air, John. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I have a involved question. It may be a simple answer, I hope. It's about Mississippi from last week now. Mississippi taxation, okay, on withdrawals from 401Ks, traditional IRAs, rollover IRAs, and newly inherited IRAs. How does Mississippi tax those? It doesn't. Okay, that's the answer I wanted. Fantastic. <laughs> have, 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 a, have a great day with that one. <laughs> uh, retirement income, also, uh, you know, annuity. Um, Correct. Payments. Yes, generally speaking, mm-hmm. any retirement income is not taxed in the state of Mississippi. Uh, marvelous. Thank you. That's the answer I was hoping <laughs> You still for. have federal tax. Don't forget your federal oh, tax. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but no, uh, that, yep, that we are retirement friendly in that regard. Okay. Enjoy the show very much. Thank you. Fantastic. All right, thanks, uh, John, John, thanks for the call. Glad we could give you the answer that you were looking for. Uh, we're talking about uh, personal finance statistics today. We got these from Morningside. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, 32% of working women uh, say they're not working because of child care demands, while 12% of men uh, say the same thing. Uh, so uh, that's uh, interesting. Um, that that probably maybe was one one of the side effects of of the pandemic and and reasons why maybe some folks might not get back to work uh, because of of childcare demands. Um, Ryder, any thoughts? Yeah. So last year was of course a, a different for a lot of reasons, but it was different in the childcare world as well. People didn't school was virtual in many cases, and for folks who just couldn't leave a child, you can't necessarily. Leave your child at home alone all day that meant someone needed to stay home and if they were unable to work remotely that meant somebody had to ease out of the workforce of course we did have a large amount of unemployment as well so that could play into that as well but i would note that reflects broadly those statistics about about women who uh, are not in the workforce due to helping a, a child or family member otherwise normally that number would have been 27% and 10%. So really just bumped up a couple percent on both men and women last year. And so, Nancy, when we talk about the pandemic and it affects on the way we work, uh, and we talked about this a couple of times on the show, possibly changing, you know, work from home. So there might be sort of some long-lasting changes to the workforce and the way we work due to the pandemic. I think there will be, and this is so interesting to me to watch how the labor force is being um, reordered, and uh, we are looking at work differently, and a lot of employees, once they experienced remote work and had some flexibility so they weren't commuting so long, had more time at home, more time to take care of their families. They are saying, hey, employers, I really like this style. And a lot of employers are adjusting to that and offering more flexibility and understanding that families are important. And when your employees are able to take care of their families, are able to take care of just ordinary errands and things that they have to do, then they can be more productive. 
Ryder, just about a minute left. Any thoughts on the pandemic's effect on work? I think Nancy's right in that remote work is here to stay. And sometimes that may just be a combination of going into the office occasionally or maybe a schedule where you go into the office a certain number of days a week. We are hearing from a lot of big employers. Some are going back completely, and some are going back with... uh, some built-in remote days or uh, office optional days because people are finding if if you can do good work while at home then great we we want you to be doing good work while at the same time a lot of employees do want to come into the into work because they don't necessarily want to turn their bedrooms into an office and so that is having a big impact not just on the work we do but where we live and what we do with our lives outside of work. That will wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from our listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your preferred podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. for Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.